Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. Hope everybody is staying safe and has been trying to entertain themselves as best as possible. Still really reeling without sports. I almost got myself to watching WWE last night, but I just could not do it. I still don't think there's going to be any circumstance in this world where I watch wrestling. That's not too... Uh, make anybody feel bad that watches it. I just don't think I could ever get to it. But I've been watching a lot of old baseball, baseball classic games, and I know that Fox Sports Florida continues to air some of the Marlins games from last year, which is nice. I still like watching those, but I would love some World Series flashbacks. I know they don't have the rights to those specific games, but if there was some sort of way we could get some cool throwback games, even from down the stretch in 03, making the push for the wild card, it would be really nice to relive some of that nostalgia. But it's it's time to get creative, time to try and figure out ways to uh, immerse yourself in your fandom that you haven't before. I know that for me, it's been going down old seasons, old rabbit holes. Sometimes I get so bored, I find myself going through the transaction lists, like all the trades the Marlins have made from the year 2000 on, just going through it on baseball reference. And it's amazing. You almost forget how many players the Marlins just tried out, old veterans that they signed that never even ended up playing a game for them, like Ty Wigington, Jay Gibbons, Miguel Tejada. There's so many of these players where I'm like, oh my goodness, I forgot that the Marlins signed that guy, Mike Lamb. So many like old veterans that were on their last leg, the Marlins were like, hell, we'll try them out, see what happens, and most of them didn't pan out, but some of them had a nice little stint with the fish. I think Mike Cameron had a multi-home run game, Chad Tracy had a couple big hits in his time, but it's just funny to see how many old veteran players finished out their careers in Miami, it's like where careers went to die, unfortunately. But it's different now, right? Here's where the Marlins are hopefully where careers are starting and uh, the beginning of something special for a lot of these players. So speaking of, I'm going to be talking about the implications of a 29-man roster, something that has been thrown around, and what the Marlins could potentially do and how that would help the Marlins if the roster is expanded. Of course, that would help every team. That's why the league is considering doing it. But with the Marlins-specific situation, with a lot of guys that we want to see what they can do, a lot of guys that we're still figuring out where their role is, it makes a little bit of the decision-making easier for the Marlins because it takes the pressure off with trying to whittle down a roster to 25, where we've talked about it in the past. There's a good amount of players that have earned their way onto the opening day roster, some of which might not even make the opening day roster, which is just a good problem for the Marlins to have, but it's definitely frustrating when you want to see what the Monte Harrisons of the world can show you right out of the gate, but he's going to come up. Some of these other guys, Nick Neidert, Alex Vesia, all those guys are going to come up eventually, and they're going to be able to show us what they have. It's just we might have to wait a little bit longer at this point with everything that's going on and the sports world at a pause. I think waiting now doesn't seem as bad as it did before, as some of us, including myself, were so eager to make the debuts, to see the debuts of some of these young upcoming stars in the Marlins system. So talking about the roster, assuming it is expanded to 29, which is what I'm going to talk about, I first want to focus on whether it's 25 and how the Marlins would go about that. I kind of did my rough draft of a roster. Of course, I can't totally confirm what's going on behind the scenes right now, how some banged up guys might be feeling now, because we can't see what's going on on the field. And 
I don't have access to Aston Mattingly like I would hopefully be able to right now if the season was going on, you know, how this guy's doing, how this guy's feeling, or what's going on. So there's a little bit of that disconnect right now where we don't have the day-to-day to make our own assumptions to see what we get out of watching a game, to apply it to our hypothesis, I would say, to what I think the roster would be. But we can use the information we had in the past and what the Marlins need based on the players that they have and what they get out of those locks, per se, and what that kind of leaves the Marlins in necessity of. Because you have the locks, you know the guys that are going to be on the core of the roster, but there's still going to be little gaps and spaces of things that the Marlins need to fill, needs that they have that those lock core players of the roster do not check the boxes of. So let's start with the catchers. Of course, Jorge Alfaro and Francisco Cervelli are the two catchers. That seems pretty obvious. It doesn't make sense for the Marlins to carry a third catcher right now. So even though I love Chad Wallach and he's a fun guy to root for, he looks like he'll be starting the season in AAA. We'll go to first base. For the purpose of just making it spatial, I'm going to say Garrett Cooper and Jesus Aguilar, though it seems like Cooper will be playing a little bit of outfield. Ultimately, it makes more sense for him to be probably splitting his time in the outfield and first base. Also, of course, that's dependent on Aguilar's performance, but that's not what we're debating right now. It's just about the roster spots, right? The at-bats gives me a headache, and that's something that we'll just have to wait and see. But regardless, those two guys will be on the active roster when the season hopefully starts soon, finally starts. So that checks off first base. The lock for second base is Aizen Diaz with his backup. I put as a middle infield backup, but we'll just stick him to second base for this roster fly through right now. And that'll be John Birdie. So that gives us two second basemen. Third base is just Brian Anderson because I'm going to be putting VR in the outfield. So obviously Anderson's the lock at third. VR will be in the outfield. Lewis Brinson will be in the outfield. Corey Dickerson will be in the outfield. Matt Joyce will be in the outfield. And Harold Ramirez looks like he will be in the outfield also to start the season off. Then at shortstop, I realized I just skipped over shortstop. That's Miguel Rojas. So you have... The middle infielders as Aizen Diaz, Miguel Rojas, and John Birdie, I probably should have just grouped them together on their own. And then the outfielders that I just mentioned, that is five of them. And then with the starting pitching of Sandy Alcantara, Caleb Smith, Pablo Lopez, Jordan Yamamoto, and Jose Urania, who ultimately has to take that last roster spot. He looked good in spring training. He looked like he developed a little bit more of a slider. And you have to just see what he can do. And especially if the roster is expanded, you have a month for Jose Urania if that's how long they end up deciding to expand the roster. You have a month for Jose Urania to try and show himself. If they're going to be doing all of these double headers like they have been talking about, which is a really important part of this 29-man roster decision that I'll have to talk about when I'm going to discuss those last four spots that the Marlins are going to have to decide who they give to. That could generate a little bit more of an early season demand for starting pitching than we've seen in the past. More teams think that they can be competitive with a shortened season, and more teams are going to realize, hey, we need pitching depth. Not every team is as fortunate as the Marlins to have some young pitchers coming through the system and a lot of just very solid back-of-the-rotation arms that can spot start whenever needed, which the Marlins have quite a few, and I will get into those guys in a second after I talk about the bullpen. So those are the five rotation arms of that core rotation, we could see a spot starter in the sixth spot, which would probably go into the 29-man roster debate. Now with the relievers, the lock relievers are obviously Brandon Kinsler, Yimmy Garcia, Ryan Stanek, 
Eliezer Hernandez, Adam Conley. I want to say Brad Boxberger has earned his way onto the roster just on intrigue alone. And then Stephen Tarpley, who was recently acquired from the Yankees. Those all seem like guys that should be penciled into the bullpen coming into the season. But, you know, surprises happen. And especially we just saw Harlan Garcia was let go. So you just never know what's going to happen with the bullpen. Sometimes things just don't make sense. The Nick Wickgren trade I'll never understand. So bullpen decisions are a little bit more of uh, something that you're just in the dark on and a little bit more unpredictable. So that's what I'm going to just guess right now for the bullpen. And it seems like the most likely scenario. But we'll have to see what the Marlins decide to do because now we're going to talk about the double headers and where the remaining spots go. So with those guys I all listed just now, that was 25 players. It doesn't seem like it, right? But yeah, the roster fills up pretty quickly. So that leaves four spots for a list of some bats and some pitchers, which would have had no problem making last year's team. This year's team, it's a little bit of a tighter race, and that's a good problem for the Marlins to have. So I'll get into the players who are fighting over those potential last four spots on the other side of the break. All right, so I'm sure you guys have a few players in mind right now. How did he leave him off of that 25-man roster? You can't please everybody, and I think a lot of people are going to have different ideas of who should be on that 25-man roster. I think if it doesn't expand to 29, I, I very easily could find myself sliding Robert Duggar or Sterling Sharp in there. And just because I didn't put them in that first 25 now, that doesn't mean that if Major League Baseball came out and said that you can only have 25 players on your active roster, that they're not going to expand the roster, that I wouldn't put Duggar and Sterling Sharp in there. I just didn't think it was worth wasting the time on the debate of whether they should fit into the top 25 if we're talking about a roster that is expanded to 29, which means those are the two guys that I'm probably giving two of the four spots to, quite obviously, because they are probably making a push for the 25, man, even if it didn't get expanded. It's just who do you yank out at that point? Maybe Boxberger, maybe Tarpley. But I want to see what a lot of those guys have. And already you have your spot six starter in there with Elysia Hernandez, who is mostly a starting pitcher, but of course can work out of the bullpen or work in long relief. So he would already supplement that extra rotation spot as a spot starter for a doubleheader or if somebody gets yanked last minute. But for the remaining spots, like I said, it's Robert Duggar, Sterling Sharp, Alex Vesia, Nick Neidert, who already was optioned to AAA, but again, a lot can change as we wait for the season to start. And then with the bats, it's Magnera Sierra, Matt Kemp, Sean Rodriguez, and then the unlikely guys that I just don't really think will have much consideration given some circumstances is Jeff Brigham and Drew Steckenrider. Both of them are banged up, didn't throw in the spring, and Steckenrider's dealing with some velocity issues coming back from the injury. Both of them could use some rehab in double or triple A. And fortunately, the Marlins are in a position where they do do not need to rush them. So that is my expectation. Takes a little bit of pressure off of the roster, which leaves four spots for the aforementioned guys, not including Brigham and Steckenrider. Well, I said earlier, Robert Duggar and Sterling Sharp belong right in that mix. That gives you a lot of pitchers, a lot, a lot of pitchers. So ultimately, you're going to need at least one or two of those last two spots to be a bat. The reason why I lean towards Duggar and Sharp is they've continued to show improvement on the mound. They've showed that they continue to mature. And they were both middling prospects at best that have really outperformed their expectations, much like a Pablo Lopez type. 
and you're hoping that they can continue to improve with some major league seasoning. Those are guys that you just need to see, and at the very least, if they don't reach their ceiling, if they continue to be role players, their value is higher than ever before, especially a guy like Sterling Sharp, who is always going to be a reliever for the Marlins, even though he has some experience as a starting pitcher. He will be able to eat up a lot of middle innings, stretch him out in those doubleheaders or those games where you know your bullpen is tired after a doubleheader, and he can just really do the mop-up duty. As a ground ball pitcher, he could take himself into two, three, four innings at least one time, two times around the lineup. And that's something that is very valuable with the way the league is probably going to go for this upcoming season. Same story with Duggar, though. Duggar is a starter. He could definitely still provide value out of the bullpen. He's seen a little uptick in his velocity, sits in the mid-90s. Maybe if he's only throwing one or two innings, he can get it up to the high 90s, though I'm not sure that's in him. But as a starter, he seems like he could be pretty solid. He did not look great last year, but again, I want to see more. And that's another guy that could be fighting for that spot start position with Elysier Hernandez. And that's the cool thing that the Marlins have right now is if there's an emergency spot start that they need to make, they have options. So whoever's been throwing better, however they stack up against the lineup, I'm more intrigued by Hernandez just with his pure stuff. He's a little bit younger and he has shown a little bit more at the lower levels, but Duggar is no slouch in himself and could easily be a serviceable middle reliever at the very least, maybe at the best case scenario, a back end rotation piece. I think Hernandez has a little bit more of a ceiling and a little bit more intrigue to him. But regardless, both of them have a lot of value to bring to a 29-man roster in a very action-packed upcoming season. So that kind of sorts out those two spots. And it probably means that Vesia and Neidert are going to have to wait a little bit longer, which is fine because though Vesia is on this incredible scoreless inning streak he still is a little bit unseasoned I would like to see him throw a few more innings at some higher levels in the minor leagues just because there's no reason to rush him especially when you want to see what Conley can do after a strong spring and what Steven Tarpley can do after you went out and acquired him from the Yankees and he showed some glimpses of what he could be out of the bullpen over there If one of those lefties does not pan out early on, you have a high-ceiling left-handed arm with closer potential just knocking at the door ready to come up, and there's no reason for him to just get a couple more innings under his belt, continue to get polished before you bring him up to the majors, keep him set up for success. And it's refreshing for the Marlins to be in a position where if somebody doesn't pan out, they have another guy that's exciting with a high ceiling that could be a part of the Marlins' future that's waiting to be the next up where before it was like, okay, this guy's not working out. Who the hell can just step in and try to slow down the leak right now just to get us through these next few games? Because that was the case more than enough times in recent history. And now the Marlins have a serviceable guy after serviceable guy that we're excited to see whenever they need to fill in and whenever the opportunity presents itself. So now talking about the bats, it seems like it's kind of a three-man race right now for those two bench spots or one bench spot depending on how many arms the Marlins want to go with. And like I said, with Neidert, you're not going to want to put him in the bullpen. So you want to wait until that rotation spot opens up. And that's a tough one. It might be a little bit of time before we see Neidert. Even though he looks strong in the spring, the Marlins still want to see what they have with Urania. They want to see what they have with Duggar. 
They want to see what they have with Hernandez. And those are all guys that are filling out for the fifth spot right now. So if the Marlins trade Urania eventually and then don't like what they see from Hernandez or Duggar or prefer, prefer them in the bullpen, excuse me, then that seems like that's when it would be Nick Neidert's opportunity. So that might not come till halfway through the season. But again, we don't know what's going to happen with the bullpen. There's so many moving parts. For now, that seems like the most likely scenario for me that Neidert ends up pitching about half the season in the minor leagues, which is fine right now because of how much time he missed last year. And he talked about how much he needed to get back into shape, how much the fall league helped him and how weird it was not pitching for so long with that bad knee and then coming back onto it. It just everything kind of felt weird for him. So a few more innings for him under his belt. There's no reason to rush him either with all of the starters that the Marlins need to check out. So with the bats, it seems like a three-man race with Magnera Sierra, Matt Kemp, and Sean Rodriguez. And it seems like it's a no-brainer to have Sierra be the guy, right? He's younger. You want to see what he can do. But if we're talking about trying to put forward the best team possible and to win ball games, which we know is probably what's going to be factored into majority of the decision-making, it's not going to be, oh, I want to see this guy more than I want to see Matt Kemp. It's, can Matt Kemp give us a better chance to win right now than Magnera Sierra? As it stands, most of the time, the Marlins are going to only have one left-handed bat at the, off the bench, and maybe even none if Matt Joyce and Corey Dickerson start in the same lineup, which I'm sure will happen at least a few times this coming season, and with Don Mattingly saying that Joyce will probably play about three games a week, it's very possible that they're going to be in the same lineup more than a few times a season, maybe every single week, because Dickerson is looking like a player that should be playing a majority of the games this year, though there were some rumblings before the signing of Dickerson that the Marlins didn't view him as an everyday player. So whether Joyce will be swapping in for Dickerson or if they're trying to go a little bit more left-handed heavy in certain matchups, that will remain to be seen. But regardless, that leaves you with just three left-handed bats in your entire active roster with Aizen Diaz, who will be starting presumably every game at second base. So that really only gives you the occasional one bat off the bench as a left-handed hitter. That sways me towards Sierra initially. Also, Sierra is younger than the other two. He's more athletic and provides better defense. So on the surface, it seems like a no-brainer, right? Take the younger guy that hits from the left side of the plate faster, plays better defense, and we still want to see what he has to offer. But Sierra is kind of a dated prototype in today's game. I'm not too high on him, though I do think he is fine as a fourth outfielder. How much does he just fit this Marlins team, and how much can he help this Marlins team? I'm not so sure. You have Lewis Brinson already, who can provide that late-inning substitution as a premium defender. Even if he's 0 for 500 on the season, he is still a great defender in the outfield and will always give you value there. But then in terms of good defense in the outfield, the Marlins don't have a ton of it on that roster. Jonathan Villar is questionable in center field, though the Marlins still want to play him out there. Corey Dickerson won a gold glove, but then the rest of his career, he was not very good, almost below average defensively for the most part. One of the most random gold gloves in baseball, to be honest. And then Matt Joyce is very average out there, and Harold Ramirez, if you watched any games last year, is not a good defensive outfielder. So when you look at it right now, there's situations where late in ball games, yeah, you sub in Brinson, but you can't be totally confident in an outfield with Brinson, Dickerson, and VR. So while Sierra might not offer 
a lot of support offensively. And even though the fact that he does not hit right-handed pitching very well, which kind of negates the whole point of having a left-handed bat off the bench, he really his whole career has hit left-handed pitching better, whether at the major league or minor league level, which sways me back to Kemp. But then you consider the defense and the defensive issues that the Marlins could have late in ball games, and you want to make a defensive substitution that can help you. The only guy that you could bring in is Lewis Brinson. That's really going to be a significant upgrade in the outfield unless you want to slide Brian Anderson out there and move then Jonathan Villar to third base. But that's just a lot of moving late in the ballgame to just keep putting a guy, almost switch, flip-flopping guys from third base to the outfield. It just doesn't really make much sense at that point. You might as well just play Brian Anderson in the outfield. Kemp obviously is not a good defender anymore. He's been taking balls at first base. He does still have value with the bat. I do think he could hit the ball pretty darn well if he plays as a bench option for the Marlins, though he didn't hit the ball that well in the spring. He was just a couple years removed, not even in 2018. He was an all-star with the Dodgers. He had a rough year last year, was banged up. I still think this guy can hit. I don't think that his bat has slowed down much, and he has just such a mature approach, so much experience in the game. He has a lot that he can bring, let alone the veteran presence in the clubhouse and the positive impact he has reportedly had on some of these younger Marlins players. And when I say I don't think his bat has slowed down much, obviously it has from his peak. But from 2018 even, I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star, but I don't think he has slowed down to the degree that he is not a major league bench player after being an all-star in 2018 with the Dodgers and just putting up some great offensive numbers over there. So that kind of makes it a toss-up between those two because Sean Rodriguez, he's going to be knocking at the door in case John Birdie does not pan out. But right now, Birdie seems like the better option. Given the strong season he had last year, his athleticism, his versatility. But if Birdie, for some reason, hits a wall and shows that last year was just a fluke, a flash in the pan, then Sean Rodriguez, who I think will take the assignment to AAA, will then be the next man up in that super utility role and could be a great second option for that John Birdie role should he struggle. So for me, not a candidate for the 29-man roster. And for that last bat, it should come down to Sierra and Kemp. When I say Sierra is a dated prototype, it means that he doesn't get on base much, he's not going to hit for power, and that ultimately is not going to provide much value at the top of your order. It's just you don't have those slap hitters that don't walk doing much in today's game anymore. The Michael Bournes, the Niger Morgans, and that would be a best case scenario for Magnera Sierra. Those guys just don't really last in the game anymore. And so that's the question with the Marlins. Ultimately, though, he's not going to be a centerpiece. He's not going to be the leadoff hitter day in and day out. His value would be defensively and late game upgrade as a base runner or spot starter at the top of the order that can, you know, grab that extra base and wreak some havoc on the base paths and play premium defense. With the state of the outfield, with a Garrett Cooper, Jonathan VR, Lewis Brinson, Corey Dickerson, Matt Joyce, Harold Ramirez outfield. There's only one guy in that list, like I said, that's a premium or at least plus defender. And that's got to be a little bit of a concern. And that's going to sway me towards Sierra right now because I'd feel really good about an outfield that has Brinson and Sierra in it than an outfield containing a mixture of any of the other aforementioned guys, especially late in a ball game in a cavernous Marlins park. Despite how many times you move the walls in, it is still a cavernous park with a lot of ground to cover out there. 
So that's going to be the decision the Marlins have to make between those two guys. Do you value the offense off the bench or do you value the glove and the speed off the bench? Because the splits don't really matter. Kemp honestly would probably hit right-handed pitching better than Sierra would in a full season off the bench. Just looking at Sierra's history and considering Kemp's experience being able to hit both southpaws and right-handed pitchers. So that's the big conundrum there, right? I think ultimately that 29-man roster, assuming the pitching all shakes out the way I think it will, that's going to come down to Kemp and Sierra. Sierra still has some options left. Kemp, it will remain to be seen if he will take the option, but that's going to be the decision the Marlins have to make, and I think the Marlins are going to try to find ways to get Matt Kemp on this roster and to have him be on the big league roster, at least in the beginning, to see what he can do. That's my gut feeling. But I think you can make the case that Sierra's glove is more valuable than anything Kemp can offer offensively, especially with the, all the outfielders that the Marlins have and the two first basemen that they have. Kemp isn't a second baseman or a shortstop providing depth in the middle infield. This is a guy that's already adding to a really deep position for the Marlins. And the defensive thing is an issue now, but it's not going to be an issue a couple years down the road or even by the end of this year when Monte Harrison is hopefully in the big leagues. Jesus Sanchez could be in the big leagues who's an above average defender. This is just a now problem, but the Marlins are going to make these roster decisions as how can we be the best team we are right now and potentially compete for a wild card spot. Whether you think it's possible or not, that's going to be the Marlins rationale going into the season because no matter how bad a team is, and I don't think the Marlins are bad this year, every team is going to have that mentality going into the season. So that's my take on what the Marlins could do with a 29-man roster. I do think that an expansion to a 29-man roster does favor the Marlins more than the average team with their pitching depth. And the guys that I all mentioned too, that's not considering the fact that Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera will be knocking at the door as well. And that puts more pressure on the Marlins to figure out what they have with Duggar, what they have with Urania, what they have with Hernandez, because there's no question that Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera are part of the future. You got to sort out all the other guys in their way, because when they're ready, they're going to be ready. And you better know what to do with those other pitchers because you don't want to give them away for nothing if they end up being more valuable than you think they are and you didn't get to see enough from them. So the time is now to see what's going on with those guys because Sixto will not wait for his debut. He's going to be knocking at the door as will Edward Cabrera. So sort out the talent you've got in the big leagues right now. Figure out if they're part of the future, then go from there. So it'll be interesting to see how the Marlins decide to proceed with that. A lot of decisions to be made. 29-man roster helps a little bit and helps expedite the process of figuring out what you have in the big leagues to then figure out when you are going to filter through those young prospects and decide when it's time for them to join your major league team and how they will impact your team. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm glad I could be back with you guys. I will be continuing to put them out on a consistent basis. And please feel free to continue to engage me. Ask me questions on Twitter. Should have some interviews coming up soon and a lot more content that's going to be more unique with not much going on in the sports world. I will continue to have things going on here at Locked On Marlins. As always, thank you for listening. I will talk to you all soon.